Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Offset, sitting down with Keith Myers. As usual, co-host Keith Myers, welcome into the show. How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, you know, it's, you know, midweek, our midweek show after a win. It just makes for a, a, a nice, smooth week for us. Yeah, we thought uh, this year we're going to do three shows a week. Uh, we're going to do a recap and a preview, but in the middle, we're going to do our midweek show where we cover all things Seahawks football, everything from injury reports to talking a little bit more in depth about what we saw in the last game, maybe looking forward a little bit to a preview. We'll also have a little bit of a look around the NFL on some of our favorite games or some of the games we want to talk about and take away from uh, the, the previous week. So. All in all, it should be fun and a kind of a free-flowing conversation. So where do you want to get started this week? Um, well, I just want to start with uh, an announcement that got made today is that um, Uchina Nuasu, the linebacker for the Seahawks, um, who had a fantastic week this week, including um, a forced fumble, a sack, um, and seven other tackles, uh, was named the NFC uh, Defensive Player of the Week today. So. Yeah. Yeah, great um, honor. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and it was one of many good performances of by Seattle's defense. Yeah, I agree. Um, he totally deserved that award. I, you know, in real time, I could tell he was having an, a fantastic game. He was probably the player that stood out to me the most on the defensive side of the ball that was having a great effect on, on the game itself. And uh, good for him. Coming to a brand new team, uh, establishing, uh, establishing himself as one of the team leaders. And, um, this certainly helps, you know, going out there and showing what you got first game and kind of establishes himself going forward. So I, I love it. Um, what else? Oh, Ken Walker practiced today. So it looks like mm -hmm. he's coming back and be available for the uh, game Good. against the 49ers on Sunday. Uh, who else was out there? Um, I had my notes all good and now I'm all discombobulated um well while you're looking for those um yeah it it there was initial reports that uh, jamal adams was going to be out probably for the year and now it's official he is having surgery it will end his year um and it's not like oh we think it's likely this it's yeah no when they they have a full diagnosis he's he's done so what was it exactly? Did he tear his quad away from the the knee, or how does that work? Um, yeah, I mean, because it, it wasn't um, like a patellar tendon, because that's what would have caused the quad to just like um, bunch up higher above the knee and that kind of stuff. But it was it was a different spot. It was, uh, and so it wasn't the um, the tendon that was over the knee. It was the ligament that attaches it to um other parts and so it was you know it's structural um rather than um mechanical um but yeah he tore it completely off the um off the bone and it has to get reattached which likely involves them drilling a hole in the bone 
so they can like pull it back, pull it through and, and reattach it and then let the bone heal around it. So it's, um, it's going to be a long, uh, recovery. It's not, not a quick one. I, I saw a picture of him getting carted off the field and it was just a sad sight. I mean, <clears throat> what a deal. Uh, unfortunate, you know, you, you want a player to have an opportunity to, uh, to prove his, his contract and to prove his worth and, and beyond the contract, just as a good person and a, and a terrific player when healthy. And, um, I wish him the best. I don't know what the future holds. Uh, you had mentioned yesterday, some contract situations, uh, with him in the, the future, he got reminded by a fan on our YouTube account that he is almost fully guaranteed for 2023 as well. So his cap hits and, and okay. so forth. I went out there and looked are in fact, uh, brutal next year. So next year it would, you know, unless they come to some sort of an injury settlement, which is unlikely. No, he has no reason. He is yeah, fully he guaranteed no, on no reason to, to, to give back money to Seattle. That's, that's not a thing. Um, unless he retires. Yeah, um, yeah, I, 24, I, we can, uh, we can walk away. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a dead cap space of around seven or $8 million, but we'd be able to save 13 million overall. So, so there is one more year on it. Okay. That, there that's, is one more year where yep, we're on. I had that wrong. Now a word from our new sponsor, Raycon. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of the Foo Fighters and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to, because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge, trust me. Raycons give you 8 hours of playtime and 32 hours of battery life. Raycon's priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. When I'm using my Raycons, I have three customizable sound profiles, earbud tap functions, and noise isolation. Whether I'm in the studio or listening to my favorite band, my Raycons are great. Go to buyraycon.com slash TPPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash TPPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash TPPN. So, and and, and unfortunate. Let's wish him well, though. Um, Tyler Ott is going to be out. I'm I'm not exactly sure, but it looks like it's going to be season ending. He's going to have shoulder surgery, um, which is the worst possible injury for a long snapper. And he's being replaced on the roster by our practice squad elevated player, um, Tinker. Mm-hmm. And then um, we brought back uh, safety Scott Nelson onto the practice squad after um, Tyler Ott moved over to injured reserve. They haven't done anything yet officially with um, Jamal Adams, but that move is coming soon. Yep. And then they brought back um, Tanner Muse officially onto the 53. Uh, so he's elevated and coming up as as onto the permanent roster. So that's that's interesting. I uh, wanted to mention too that uh, Tariq Woolen suffered a stinger on that attempted tackle that we witnessed. He kind of went off the field with his arm hanging. Came back in later uh, in the game. Not too many people noticed that, but he he was in some on at least one play, uh, and he looked fine. Don't know what the long term prognosis is there. 
uh, with that. So that's kind of the comings and goings of the uh, of the injury report in the roster uh, early in the week, and we'll have more news as as things get closer. Uh, particularly with Damian Lewis. Damian Lewis is kind of in the same bucket as Ken Walker. Uh, it would be kind of a later in the week decision by the team whether or not he could go, and um, that still holds true for him. So, What else is going on, Keith? We were going to talk about players of the week. We were going to do both offense and defense. Um, you, I, I have mine for offense, and we talked about it briefly before, um, and mine's going to be Geno Smith. Uh, it's hard for me to kind of, while there are other considerations, it's really hard to give it to anybody else considering the expectation level that was on Gino, and then he came through uh, like he did and, and basically kind of carried the team that first uh, half and, and really kind of made it possible for the Seahawks to win at, at all. And um, he just had a great game. You mentioned the efficiency. Uh, mm -hmm. Right out of the gate for him, the 13 for 13, uh, 17 for 18 overall in the first half. Things quieted down for him in the second half, but he did enough. Uh, put that score on the board that, that lasted uh, until the very end, 17 to 16. So um, who do you have? And and I had my honorable mention, but I'll let you, I'll let you stay here. I, I have um, uh, rookie right tackle Abe Lucas as my offensive player of the game. Um Going back and, and rewatching, yeah, he had um, the one penalty, but other than that, he had a very tough task against Randy Gregory all night, yeah. and it didn't matter. He just he just shut him down, shut him out, and I love that. And you know, third round pick wasn't, you know, Cross was the guy who's who's supposed to start. He was the first round pick. Um, Lucas might be the better player. Which is and crazy. I was just thinking crazy. the same thing. I was just thinking that so far, that's not a that's not a wild, crazy statement. I mean, that's accurate. He's been yeah. the better player so far in camp. He's been more they've accurate both been as good. far as his blocking assignments, his grades, his They're, ability. They've both been good. I don't. I don't take stuff away from Charles Cross. Yeah, he's made a couple mistakes, but I think uh, one of the most surprising things is the block is the run blocking, Keith. Yeah. That's the part that um, surprised everybody because he didn't run block in college. He just didn't. Um, he didn't need to. That not with the offense that he played in. And so we knew he could pass block. We knew his feet were elite. We didn't know if he understood leverage and hand placement and and all the angles and stuff that are necessary to be a good run blocker. And he makes a mistake in there here and there, but his motor just kind of makes up for it. He just grinds people into the ground and it's and gets to fantastic. the second level yeah oh yeah absolutely he uses that athleticism that makes him a great pass blocker um to get upfield and and hit linebackers and and make sure those holes are are there for um for his running backs and i like i said i love it i i'm i'm just absolutely pleased with with him and his progress so far absolutely yeah there's no question he was my honorable mention guy on, on yeah, the offensive side of the ball my my honorable mention, um, I had two. I had Gino and DK. And I, I, I thought, oh, dude, do I really put DK Metcalf in there after that fumble? But you go back and look at it. He's fighting for yards. He's trying to get stuff. And not only that, but he's he's having the ball torn away. He couldn't get a second hand on it because of the first guy. 
um, on him, and a second guy comes through and 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 gets up after the ball. It's hard. That's really that's tough. I didn't in real so, time in the in the game. I didn't even blink twice at that fumble. I was just like, yeah, shit happens. Sorry for yep. the the French there, but it, it happens. It just you know that's football. They're fighting. He's fighting. You know, mm-hmm. he, I liked it. The the encouraging thing I will say this about the way that DK Metcalf was used and the the fact that Geno Smith. Uh, in in a way that that got the ball in there on contested catches quite often. So rather than wait for DK Metcalf to be wide open, he was throwing the ball in there. We didn't see a lot of that from Russell Wilson and, and no, the DK never. Metcalf uh, combo, and it's encouraging to see that, especially without anything really being close to being an interception or anything from Geno. He was just getting it in there with confidence and quickly, yeah. without hesitation, and that to me is a really promising sign he got it into a couple there's a couple that were really small windows um to get it to dk and he did and perhaps more impressive was um dk catching the ball with guy just draped over him um and just having really sure hands i mean uh over the first couple years of his career he's dropped some balls and uh his hands haven't haven't been um elite if you want to call it that but that wasn't that was not the case on on monday he he was very sure-handed got you know anything that hit him in the hands he caught uh, even with players draped all over him so i that's why he was an honorable mention for me despite the fumble so let's turn our attention to the defensive side of the ball you'd already mentioned the idea that uh uh, Uchenna Nuasu was NFC Defensive Player of the Week, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, mm-hmm. I kind of called it out in the middle of the game. I was like, "Man, Uchenna Nuasu is having a heck of a game." He um, really was, and so he's he's definitely my player of the week on defense. Um, with with the sack uh, that that chase down sack that showed his sideline to sideline speed, caught up with Russell Wilson behind the line of scrimmage and forced him out of bounds. You mentioned the, uh, the the hurries, the forced fumble. Uh, he was just all over the place, making tackles. Um, quite impressive for uh, the first game in a in a new scheme with new coaches on a new team. Yeah, um, but I can't, I couldn't put any better. I mean, he's just he had a fantastic game. Um, was essential for this win. Without him in there, without some of the stuff that he did, CX don't win that game. So. Um, I don't have any problem with that one. He wasn't my pick though. And he wasn't my pick entirely because I knew that he was going to be your pick. Um, and so my pick actually is Mike Jackson. Um, easy pick. He's like the number five cornerback on this roster. He's like down the depth chart guy who just came in, started because of injuries and, and other reasons and just was solid was good i mean they they the russell wilson had some completions and you know had did some things but it was never that mike jackson was out of position or you know just completely failed to make a play on the ball or, or any of that um he was he did his job really well and he's a and guy with physical. size yeah he's a guy with size physicality length um him playing that well is absolutely um repeatable and for your the guy that's fifth on the depth chart at cornerback to be that good that says a lot yeah 
Russell Wilson threw for a lot of yards. I think th- he threw for 360 yards, but I, it wasn't as efficient um, as it Mm-mm. as it could have been. And it came in in fits and starts and a couple of long plays, um, you know, in in critical moments. Uh, but I thought overall the the secondary played really well. My honorable mention was actually um, Quandre Diggs. Mm-hmm. Had his hand in there on a forced fumble. Had that stop at the goal line right before that. Um, just played in a way that allowed the um, that allowed the cornerbacks to play with confidence um, when they know you've got him behind you and you're just able to kind of leave those guys out there. I mean. When you think about Tariq Woolen, how many times we saw him just on the one-on-one matchups on the outside with Quandre Diggs clear on the other side of the field, um, I was impressed. I was impressed with the scheme. We haven't even really talked about the scheme very much, Keith, on the defensive side, but man, I'm kind of excited about the way that the scheme rolled out. Now, granted, and we'll talk about this in in another segment, what we'd like to see improved, but other than maybe the, the the defending the run and and the edge play on this defense, I thought overall it was a great performance. Yeah, it was a great performance. And um, you give up 16 points to Russell Wilson and that offense with those receivers and those running backs um, and that offensive line. And the truth is, like, they they made Russell Wilson's life tough. They were in his face. They moved him around. They chased him out of the pocket. They got sacks. Um, they forced Quite a few hurries, too. Throws. Yeah, they, they forced a bunch of off-balance throws. Um, overall, I mean, the defense played really well, and the secondary was, was a big part of that. Yeah, Wilson had a lot of yards. But, you know, if you're watching the game on TV, you kept seeing the, um, the stats as the game rolled on where he had, you know, one completion to a wide receiver. It was like his first nine right. completions were to backs and tight ends. Um you know, and then he had the, the big completion to Jerry Judy when Kobe Bryant was in fantastic position. It was good coverage. Sometimes a good throw and a good catch beat good beats good coverage. Um, and, but before that, like he like nothing was down the field. Everything was short. Everything was to a running back or a tight end. Um, and that just shows you that Tariq Woolen and Mike Jackson were playing outstanding on the outside. And Sidney Jones came in and had a great uh, game as well. Yeah, and then. Um... You know, you can. A lot of detractors will say, "Well, they were, you know, one yard away from scoring twice. It would have been 14 points. It wouldn't even have been, you know, it would have been a completely different game." Yeah, that's true. But you can also say that without Seattle punching the ball out and causing those fumbles, regardless of where they were on the field, changed the dynamic of the game as well. And um, you can't take anything away. Just like you mentioned yesterday on the other show, Keith. You can't take any way, anything away from the defense in this performance because they rose up when it mattered most to prevent yeah. them from scoring. Now, I don't, I don't think expecting, you know, those fumbles and fumble recoveries um, to be repeated every week is a reliable path to winning. Um, but don't take, don't take the achievement away from the defense. This wasn't like you know where a player just dropped the ball. And that was a fumble. No, they they went and knocked it out. And they part of the reason they were able to knock it out was because they had the run stuffed short. And then they could go after the ball um, once that happened because they knew they weren't going to get into the end zone. Part of the reason they got that was because 
Quandre Diggs came up and made that fantastic play to keep um, the the tight end out of the end zone by like six inches in what looked like a touchdown. I thought it was a touchdown. I was very happy that it'd be wrong. And that you know, Dix just made a fantastic play there. Those kind of plays, you think, oh well, it's only six inches. They're not. They're going to get in anyway. Guess what? They didn't. Yeah, they ran the ball and against they, a they much it. bigger tight end in, yeah. in Alberto. I mean, that guy's a, a beast. Yeah. So uh, next segment, what what do we like and what needs work? Um, I'll go first. I like the the fact that we had quarterback pressures and sacks in this game. My expectations were unknown. We just didn't know. We had a lot of young guys, some new guys on the team uh, in Quentin Jefferson and Nuasu, and just a whole bunch of um, of players that we didn't have a chance to really see in preseason. So this was just kind of up in the air for me against a fairly decent offensive line from Denver and, and a mobile quarterback in Russell Wilson. We all know about that, but we got there. Quentin Jefferson had five pressures. Barton and Nuasu both had sacks. Daryl Taylor looked good moving towards the quarterback with three pressures. Um, one of the things that's in my what needs work is Daryl Taylor moving backwards <laughs> because he looked bad in coverage and setting the edge uh, yep. against the run. He had we'll a run-stopping grade at uh, 45. But, um, you know, that's that's what I wanted to start with. No, and I think that the, that's fair. Um, I, I, yeah. CX have struggled to get pressure regularly on the quarterback the last couple of years. And now they've switched defenses in terms of scheme. They've got some guys in there. They're they're coming, go, getting after the quarterback, and they're being more aggressive to do so. Um, Nawasu getting a sack, and then Cody Barton getting a sack. And actually, um, when you're saying like, you know, this is the the positive. Like, what what are we you know looking forward to, and and w- what went well? Uh, honestly, Cody Barton and um, Jordan Brooks in the middle went well. I mean, they combined for 22 um, tackles. Uh, first and second on the team. Uh, we knew Jordan Brooks was going to be good. I mean, he has the franchise record in tackles. He broke Bobby Wagner's record last year. Um, we knew he was going to be good and get the job done, but there was a lot of question marks about Cody Barton. And I hope he answered them because he had a monster game. He really did. He was all over the field. You saw him in on a lot of plays and a lot of tackles. And his ability to get up field get off a block and just smother Wilson on that sack was fun. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I, I am, I'm pleased that this was a, this was an unknown. This was a question mark, at least in that game. Um, it was a very much a positive. And now here's a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. The NFL's opening week was action packed and it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. 
Yeah. I've got a I've got a couple more. Um the play of Tariq Woolen, I just thought mm-hmm. was just outstanding. Didn't allow a reception on three attempts. We talked about that possibly, you know, just being a matter of uh, semantics there with him. Um, but nonetheless, uh defended Cortland Sutton uh for the entire game, essentially, and basically shut him down. I mean, he had a couple of pass interference calls uh that were legitimate. Um, and you hope that, that you can learn from that and correct those things. But there was, there wasn't anything that I saw that gave me pause to say that he couldn't handle the job in the NFL. Yeah. Um, so when he, my expectation, when I found out that he was going to start is as with a lot of things with this year's Seahawks teams, I'm like, okay, let's keep my expectations down because I go back to Brandon Browner and he looked terrible for the first few weeks when he became a starter in Seattle back in 2012. And then it clicked and he started to play really well. Um, and I'm like, um, you know, Woolen has that size. He has that, that, that Brandon Browner size. He's got more speed than Browner ever had. Um, but he, you know, he plays with that size. He plays with physicality um, and all of that. And I'm like, just wait, just give him time. Uh, and you know what? He didn't need it. I was, and the team I, didn't I, think so either because they just no, they put they, him out. They there. put him, they put him out there, and they put him on an island so many times in this game against a really, really good and underrated um, receiver, and it didn't matter. He just stepped up to the challenge, and I could not have been more impressed. Yeah, yeah a couple of of pass interference penalties. We'd like to see that go away. At the same time. um, one yeah, see the aggressiveness too. One rookie, he's gonna make mistakes. Like, give, let's be patient. And two, yeah, these weren't like he was out of position and tackled a guy because he got beat. This was him being aggressive and trying to make a play. And okay, maybe got a little uh too aggressive. I don't care. Like, yeah, those right. are penalties. I can take those penalties. Yeah. Yeah, he so, let somebody get get a little behind him in the end zone once. But other than that, I didn't really see too many mistakes at all. Um, the other one that I wanted to mention is just the efficiency of Geno Smith and the offense coming out from the very uh, first snap uh, on the offense. Uh, there were question marks as to whether Geno would be a good fit running the offense. There would be question marks as far as uh, what our offensive coordinator was going to be able to do. Um, and, and you just didn't see a lot of players play together again in preseason, just like on the defensive side of the ball. And so when they came out and they had the 13 straight completions and things were just flowing and he was getting the ball to like seven or eight different targets, uh, during that span, I was thrilled because that was the best case scenario for me. It didn't matter at that point for me, whether we won or lost the score as most scores, I think this season will be secondary for me, as opposed to trying to figure out the development of the of the offense of individual players and so forth. And maybe Gino is a guy that can can hold this thing down uh, a little bit. I don't know that answer yet, but in this first game, he showed that it's a it's possible. And so mm-hmm. you just have to continue then to see that uh, evolve week in week out, get better. Don't. Don't take uh, steps back. Go out and take it to defenses that you're not necessarily supposed to be better than. But you go ahead and you and you make things happen anyway. We've got a decent running game that showed. Rashad Penny had five yards 
per carry in this game. Would like to have seen him have a few more touches than just 12. Uh, but overall, I was really happy with the efficiency of the offense. Yeah, but I think a lot of that was because um, Denver's play calling was expecting Seattle to run the ball more. They came out defensively with the idea that they wanted to shut down Rashad Penny in the running game because they didn't believe um, Geno Smith can beat him. And so they came out and they stacked the box and they had extra guys in there and they did all those things. And Geno did the right thing. You saw him at the line, changing plays, changing protections, doing what he had to do and not being afraid to throw the ball more, even though it's not not necessarily, I think, what Seattle wanted. Um, but it's what the defense gave him. And that's the part that he you if you take what the defense gives you a lot, you're going to be okay. And he took what the defense gave him time and time again. Sometimes and that, they gave him a lot. So That seems to go back to a statement I heard Shane Waldron make. Um, I think it was even before last season when they were talking about bringing this offense in, what, the, what it was designed to do. And that was it. They were they were wanting to basically run uh, the entire playbook out of two or three different formations and make those calls at the line of scrimmage. And often with Wilson, we just didn't see that. And I mm -hmm. think you know, bring reining it back in, playing within the offense, taking what the defense is giving you is the whole point of this offense, really. And having Gino out there doing that, I think, is encouraging. Well, when you've got um, when you've got Russell Wilson, like dictating all of those things to that degree is taking away what makes him great. I agree. His improvisation, no his ability to extend plays, and those beautiful deep balls that Russell Wilson throws um, happen um, when you let Russ be Russ. And there's no reason to let Geno be Geno. He isn't a good enough player to deal with that. Um, so you ask Geno Smith to run the offense as it's created and not improvise. So, um, and that's what he did. He did it really well. And Shane Waldron called a great game. Okay. So that's my, that's my larger question to you is um, we had touched upon this just briefly in our last show about the coaching being mm -hmm. uh, coming out and being important in this game. How about that as being something we like to see? Oh, absolutely. I thought Shane Waldron had a great game plan. He knew how to attack, attack this defense, given his skill players. Um, and he did just that. And he, um, it, it worked really well. And defensively, like they gave up, they gave up a lot of yards on defense. Like if you're an absolute pessimist, as I've been accused of being, it's easy to look at this defensive performance and say, yeah, they only gave up 16 points. But Denver should have had way more than that because they gave up so many yards when you're not going to get those turnovers at the goal line very often. It's easy to look and do that. But it wasn't what I saw. It wasn't the scheme. It wasn't the play calling. It wasn't the coaching that led to all those plays. It was breakdowns in um, execution. Um, it was Sidney Jones not carrying uh, a route through his zone on his first play. That led to a big play. It was, um, you know, a couple of pass interference penalties by Woolen, and also Woolen not carrying a player through his zone um, on a on a play. It was um, Daryl Taylor's inability to shut set an edge uh, reliably, and 
you know, just there were things like that. That's why the defense struggled in terms of the total yards put up. Not not the scheme, not the coaching, not the play calls. I mean, there were a couple of like you call you dial up a blitz, the same uh play when Denver has that screen set up and you're just like, oh, oh that was the man, perfect call against Seattle's tough. defense. Um but you know what? When you play aggressive, you take the risk of that. And they played aggressive, and I'm okay with that too. So So um, that transitions us into what needs work. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned a few things there. What else stood out to you? maybe on the offensive side that could use a little bit more. I would like to see the, the play calling, um, get them a little uh, more runs. And I know that I think they called a lot more runs than there were. And it was changed at the line correctly by Gino, but Rashad Penny was running well in five yards of carry. And that's not even including his best run of the night, which got called back. True. Um, get him the ball, get him more touches. And now that Ken Walker's back, get him some touches. Like you got to find a way to get these guys the ball. Um, what do you expect to see against a team like San Francisco if we dial up the run a little bit more? You think that's the right thing to do? And I think it is. Opponent? I think it is because I think they want to attack, um, especially attacking a player like Gina Smith. And if you are running the ball and you're getting them to read the run first and then realize it's a pass and, and get upfield, it's, it makes it harder for them. And I think they need to be able to run the ball well um, in this game, and I expect them to. Um, and so, yeah, as far as what needs work, I'd, I'd like to see that. Um, I'd like to see someone other than uh, Metcalf and Lockett at, at the wide receiver position show that they could get open. I think Goodwin um, had uh, two targets, two catches, but they were for minimal yards. Yeah. Um, and part of it is he hasn't practiced in a month. This was like really his first work. So yeah. uh, I'm hoping that that improves and he gets out there and does more. Um, and on and it would be nice if they did more in the second half. They didn't really do anything in the second half offensively. Every All of their success was in the first half. It happened to be enough. It looked really good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I would say needs work, and this is nitpicky because I, you know, you'd mentioned the the continued success or adjustments for the offense in the second half. That certainly there. Austin Blythe run blocking, I thought was not good, as well as getting blown up on Geno Smith's quarterback sneak uh, attempt. But he had a hundred percent win rate when he was pass blocking. Uh, Phil Haynes allowed three quarterback pressures and had holding and false start penalties. So I'd like to see that improve a little bit. Cross allowed those two sacks when he got worn down towards, you know, in the fourth quarter. Other than that, I thought the offensive line looked good. Offense in general, I thought, was was okay. And then on the defensive side, we've already talked about it, setting the edge and kind of tackling better, mm-hmm. I think, uh, is, is something that you want to work on. And, of course, Pete Carroll absolutely will want to work on those things this week. Um, all right, so let's move forward and get to our segment as we look around the NFL really quick. Um, I was at a game this weekend uh the kansas city arizona game had an opportunity to go uh i i was kind of thrilled actually (laughs) at the outcome in that game kansas city took it to arizona mahomes looked fantastic he looked mid-season form five touchdowns uh 375 yards or whatever it was and he just looked unstoppable like the arizona defense could not do anything to stop him 
which now, does not it, bode well for Arizona because I Arizona's, thought Arizona looked awful. They looked bad. Arizona's defense looked especially bad because they could not get pressure on Mahomes. They don't have Chandler Jones, yeah. um, and it showed. They just didn't have a reliable pass rush, and the no rest sacks, of the no pressures. Yeah, the rest of the um, defense just got picked apart because the front four, even the you know. Even when they blitzed, they couldn't get home. They couldn't get there. Um, part of that's Kansas City being a good offensive football team. But part of it's also they just don't have the guys. And it's pretty clear that Chandler Jones-like loss is going to be, you know, huge. And, and Hopkins on the other side. It, you know, mm-hmm. it's just something that um, Kyler Murray just doesn't have the weapons that he needs. Rondell Moore's out as well. And so it's just, um, you well, know, let's talk I thought... To- his top two weapons from last year are both not there. Yeah. Right. Hopkins is suspended and Christian Kirk's is in, is in Jacksonville. Um, they lost both of them. That's hard to recover from. Yeah, I agree. So you had brought up three games that you kind of wanted to talk about. Um, you kind of tossed them out um, after we recorded the other day. And so why don't we get started with those? Well, I wanted to talk about the Atlanta game because um, Marcus Marietto and Gino Smith are kind of the two guys that are uh, reclamation projects as far as starting quarterbacks go. They're both guys that had their opportunity to start, failed at that, have been backups, um, and are now getting a chance to start again. And Marcus Mariota for three quarters looked outstanding and had so been tell in a position. Tell everybody in, who the Falcons were playing. Um, the New Orleans. Tennessee. Or no, it's New Orleans. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm thinking of the wrong game. Um, no the New Orleans Saints, which are yeah. a good team. They're, they are a team. I think I picked them as the winner of that division. Um, yes, you did. Over Tampa. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, they, for three quarters, Mariota did everything they needed to. And then in the fourth quarter, it's like the lights became too bright. He um, had a fumble. He yeah. made some mistakes. He struggled. Yeah. And he let the Saints get back into it. Um, he, he, you just gave Jameis Winston and, and um, New Orleans too many yeah. chances, and eventually they scored. And and New Orleans and Atlanta ended up losing by by one. Yeah, Atlanta went into a prevent defense. Jameis Winston only had sixty yards passing through the first three quarters, Keith, but had two hundred yards in the fourth quarter alone. Seven plays over fifteen yards. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was it was astounding to watch. I mean. To, <laughs> And I I was pleased with Mariota early, and and their offense and their defense looked looked good. Really, they were hanging right with the Saints, and then all of a sudden, it just like a switch, and the Saints just poured it on. Uh, the Falcons couldn't do anything at all to get in their way, and the Saints just took that game in the fourth quarter, um, and that was that was the end. Twenty seven, twenty six, and it. In a sense, you look at them because I, I, one of the things is, is I thought the parallel between between Geno Smith and Mar- Marcus Mariota was was interesting, and also I do I I agree. They also like Geno Smith had a fantastic first half. Yes, and then the offense sputtered and didn't. Yeah, do anything I in the I, I half. recognize this, very much the similarities in the Seahawks and the Falcons and the way maybe this season could play out over over time because I I think Seattle is going to be in games like this. Where mm-hmm. they're up early or they're hanging around, and all of a sudden it's just the other team kind of pours it on, and, and that's it. But um, good game, I enjoyed it. I, you know, after you said that we were gonna 
look these things over. I, I sat and watched that game and that was, that was crazy. Yeah. All right. So, so that, that was one. Um, and then I also w- was looking at a couple of the teams that I think need a quarterback and that I also expect them to be down near the bottom of the league, thus at the top of the draft. Um, and the New York giants came out and got a win, um, 21, 20 over Tennessee, which, you know, they're, um, they they were a playoff team. They were a division champion. They're expected to make another deep run. Um, Daniel Jones went 17 of 21, granted mm, only yeah. 188 yards. Um, yeah. but he did what he had to do. He did what he had to do. You know, Barkley had 164 yards rushing and looked, yeah, fantastic. he averaged 9.1 yards per carry. Yeah. Plus, they had three other rushers that, that picked up an additional 75 yards. So the, the Giants won that game by rushing. They still punted like five or six times. And, mm-hmm. but Daniel Jones did just enough. I, you know, he, he got the ball out. He looked tough. He got the ball into some tight spaces on the other side of the ball though um tennessee Tannehill just looked like Tannehill, you know and and um i don't know they they had a tennessee had a muff punt return that gave the giants a short field with two minutes to go and um and then they scored that two-point conversion and the giants pulled that out tennessee was probably going to end up winning that game without that so mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to take any, you know, too much away from the the Titans there. Derrick Henry looked okay, um, but was held to under 100 yards. But I I felt like the Giants may may have found a little something with Daniel Jones. I mean, not having those mistakes, the the efficiency on the passing game, and then Barkley, they're going to win a few games this year. Maybe they hang with Daniel Jones through yeah. this offseason. I mean, they they clearly have a more competent coach, and it showed. Um, and you know, they were they got a lot out of Daniel Jones. Like I said, it was only 188 yards, um, but it was 17 of 21. Like the efficiency of that um, meant that they moved the chains. They kept the um, they kept control of the ball. They did what they needed to do as far as that stuff. They gave themselves a chance to win, and they made plays when they had to. Um, they may want to run with Daniel Jones. Um, they may not, but ultimately, if they keep being, if they play that prepared regularly, they're going to win enough games to make Daniel Jones their most attractive option yeah. because they're not going to be in position to um, draft high enough to get a, a top quarterback. And I think if they do draft Keith, they're going to want to draft the tackle. Because they need it. They, they need a five sacks here. I don't think it's going to get any better. Tennessee's not a world beater on you know on their defensive front. They're not bad, but that does not bode well you know long term for the Giants. They need to be able to solve that, and you can solve that if you have a top top ten pick. Mm-hmm. So I would look for something like that, especially if they feel comfortable with Jones moving forward. If they had the protection, yeah. Um, and another team that I wanted that I that I'm I, I will be watching pretty closely this year um, will be Houston because they appear to be, I mean, on paper they're not a good football team, and you expect them to be to one of those teams that loses a lot of games and be in position to draft a quarterback. But Davis Mills, um, twenty three of thirty seven, two hundred and forty yards, two touchdowns, no picks, um, and it was enough. It led them to that 2020 tie against New Orleans, and they had and the lead 20 to three and in heading into the fourth quarter. They did, know? and they so they kind of gave that up, but they did. Um, 
which you know is unfortunate for them. But you know, they'll. T- I think they'll take the tie. Give if if going into this game, they weren't expected to win this game. They were huge underdogs. Well, and, and Colts so, with Matt Ryan now, we're expected mm-hmm. to contend for that division. Yeah, with Tennessee. Um, so we'll see. Matt Ryan, um, you know. 32 of 50 that's 64 percent um completion percentage i can do that math uh 352 yards like he played pretty well uh jonathan taylor uh 31 um rushes for 161 yards yeah um and, and a touchdown a 5.2 like those are you look you look at those numbers and you're thinking yeah um the Colts probably ran up ran up the score yeah but they didn't yeah. it was the texans that had the big lead going into the fourth quarter um and maybe and that, that was, team is better than than and Houston. We're thinking Houston only had seventy eight yards rushing. They punted the ball seven times. Um, you know, I, it's just just it's it's crazy. That one interception Matt Ryan had was costly. Um, but it 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 was funny because really Indianapolis didn't come alive until it was. It was too late. I mean, they ended up tying the score, but that's not what they wanted to do. They're clearly looking for more out of their team uh, this year than, than just that. The, the The interesting thing is uh, when you talk about going around the NFL and we're looking at quarterbacks and, and teams potentially lining up for, for draft picks and so forth, Davis Mills looked okay, 23 of 37, 240 yards and a couple touchdowns. That's not going to be a stat line that's going to force your team to look elsewhere. No, I, I thought he he looked competent um you know did he look fantastic no his team would have won if he was fantastic but he looked competent and this is a team with a lot of holes on that roster and if they're in you know if they're picking sixth or seventh in the draft they don't need a quarterback um at least at this point it doesn't appear but they yeah. need a lot of other things. You know and what's really I can interesting? See them not going that way. Yeah. What's 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 just fascinating to me is not only is this a great quarterback class, but it's a good defensive end class. It's a good tackle class. There's going to be a lot of players available in that top ten besides quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. They're going to be attractive to some of these teams. And if these teams early in this process, teams that you think are quarterback minded heading into this season and and end up getting halfway decent play uh, from their quarterbacks um, that does position Seattle. Uh, well, depending on what they want to do now, obviously Gino had a great outing um, in, in this outing, not going to take anything away from that, but the long-term idea is that Gino's getting older. They want to have a quarterback solution long-term. That's the way that mm-hmm. you build franchises. And so uh, I, I do believe that that Seattle would, you know, if if they end up losing, uh, you know, and and only winning, you know, five six games, they're gonna have a top ten pick, and consequentially, have a real nice opportunity to get a, a great player out of the draft. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, and th- there are there are some good um, quarterbacks in this draft. This isn't like last year. Um, cause last year no, going into the season, Spencer Rattler was, was thought of as the, the top quarterback in the class and he got benched. Like that's how good he was. Uh, and now he's with a different team and not playing great football. Um, there just wasn't a quarterback last year. 
but Marcus Stroud and the, the kid from Alabama and the kid from Kentucky. And, Bryce Young and Levis and the yeah. and Jackson from Florida. Yeah, it just there's there's a list of five or six players that are probably going to be first round picks, and and three or four of them are going to be top ten picks. Mm-hmm. So and, it, you know, yeah. if if you're Seattle and you're thinking, okay, if we can get our, you know, if we end up in you know the seventh pick or the eighth pick. Normally, that's too low to get a quarterback, and you're you're um, thinking about trading up, but or maybe you could do what the Bears did a couple of years ago and just wait, and know that one of them is going to be there for you because there's so many in the draft. Yeah, and with two two first round picks and two seconds, if you waited, you're still having ter- a tremendous amount of draft capital to do everything else you want to do in this draft as well. So Absolutely. it'll be something that we'll watch. I mean, we're going to come back in this show. We're going to talk about the quarterbacks in, in uh, college football as as play uh progresses as the weeks roll along we'll just kind of keep track of that um and we'll keep track obviously of of what we're doing as well but it's just an interesting side note that we'll be looking at so anything else before we head out of this midweek show Keith? i think we should just head out of this midweek show we've got the preview coming up tomorrow um where we preview the 49ers i've got a lot to say about the 49ers and what's going on there um i'm sure you do too and it'll be a fun show tomorrow all right. Find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. You can find me at NWC Hawk. You can find the show and uh, find us on your favorite podcast platforms and YouTube. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and share it if you like it. So until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Phil is at NWC Hawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.